I want to talk to you this morning about the war within. Turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5. You know, we all have a war waging within us. A war that uh, is ongoing day and night, night and day. 24-7, 365, 366 in the leap years. There is a war that is waging within us. When I was in college, and that don't ask how long ago that was, I was... I was um, both privileged and burdened a bit to watch the the first movie of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I say burdened because it was what like seventeen years long. The movie it was it was a really long movie, four hours I think, something like that. But anyway, the um, one of the characters in the movie that comes from the books is named Gollum. Now Gollum is this hideous looking creature, but Gollum has this this war within him. Part of him wants the ring, and the ring has that power that whenever uh, uh, people start to want it, it just grows on them and grows on them, and they become more and more jealous, more and more envious of this ring. And so that's what's going on with Gollum. He is talking about the ring as his precious and how he wants the ring more than anything else. And there's another side of him that seems to be at war with that, saying no, um, because that's going to involve hurting these people who are your friends and, and you care about them and you shouldn't be hurting them and back and forth. And the way they capture this on the screen, they use two different camera angles. And so one angle is looking at him like this. The other angle is looking at him like that. And it looks like he's talking back and forth within himself. This war within him as to whether he should go one route or another, whether he should do one thing or another thing. That's the kind of war that goes on within us. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that there is a war between good and evil that is fought within us. Now, there's enough war outside of us going on with things external to us, but there's a war within us as well. This is one of the things that made Stan Lee such a great comic writer. Before Stan Lee, superheroes were all good. Supervillains were all bad. With Stan Lee, he recognized that's not how it is with us. You see, with us, we have this war within, and so he started putting this war within his characters in these comics, and it revolutionized the comic industry. Because now we were seeing in Superman the same battle that I have to fight, the same battle that you have to fight. Now suddenly, this character on the screen looked a whole lot more like us. We all have a choice between good and evil, not just a good thing or a bad thing, not just a good action or a bad action, but lifestyles, a good lifestyle or a bad lifestyle the way that we choose to live our lives. All of us have to make those choices, and we make them on a daily basis. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about that war that's waging within you. You may say, well, I, I've, I've not really, I don't really feel like there's a war within me. You hang on, because there most certainly is. But stand with me as we read from Galatians chapter 5. This is God's Word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Galatians 5, we're going to read verses 16 through 26 this morning. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, 
so that these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Pray with me. Father, we have this war waging within us and... If we're honest, we must admit that many times we are overwhelmed by the severity of the battle. There is often great casualty in this war. The battlefield of the mind and the heart are some of the most gruesome battlefields that we experience. So, Father, I pray that you would equip us this morning to fight that war. God, help us to fight the right way. Help us to live lives that even in the heat of the moment, even in the thickness of the battle, we bring you honor and glory. God, Father, help us to do your will this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I promise you I have allergies. <laughs> so y'all don't, y'all, don't, y'all don't run away from me or anything. But I did notice, the, uh, other than y'all, the, the first few pews stay empty. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I spit too much. Um, for Paul, the question in this war boils down to what's going to control you. Are you going to be controlled by the spirit or are you going to be controlled by the flesh? Paul recognized these two sides, spirit and flesh that wage a war within us. So let's first look at the bitter combatants of the war. Verses 16 and 17. Both of these are vying for your allegiance, by the way. They cannot coexist. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. That word opposed in verse 17 denotes hostility and confrontation. It's warfare that wrecks havoc on our lives. It pits us against ourselves. It's like there are two different people inside of us fighting each other for control. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you're fighting yourself? 
It's like you're engaged in a war with your own self. Augustine talked about that. He talked about having a will that was split into two wills and them fighting each other, neither one having dominance and, and the, the terrible position that he was in because he just wanted, he just wanted to surrender to Christ. He just wanted to live a life that was pleasing to God. He wanted to be done with all the mess, but yet at the other time, he didn't want to let go of what he was holding on to in his past. You see, just like Augustine, we all have our past. We all have our flesh. We all have our stuff that holds us back and that we want to desperately hold on to. And yet at the same time, we see the lovely face of Christ and we want to follow Him, but we don't want to let go of the other. And so we're torn between these two sides, spirit and flesh working against each other in this bitter war. These combatants that will not Surrender will not give up. And the question is, which one do we allow to control us? Do we allow God's spirit or do we allow the flesh? Maybe Paul's words sound familiar from Romans chapter 7. So I find it to be a law. I love the way he puts that. I find it to be a law. It's like I can't get around it. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. I want to do the things for God within, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law in my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Does that sound familiar? This whole book has been about this captivity. How Christ has set us free from captivity. We talked a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about chapter 5 verses 1 through 15 that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And free from what? Free from slavery to sin. And yet we still find that even in our freedom that it's hard to live free because our sin still tries to capture us, still tries to captivate us, still tries to chain us and hold us back. There's a war going on within us. Maybe maybe you've recognized that war in you. These two different ways of living, the spirit and flesh, they're diametrically opposed. There's no way to reconcile them. In fact, well, here, don't just take my word for it. Look at the life of the flesh. Chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh. You ready? I, I like this. The works of the flesh are evident. We keep saying, well, whether you've accepted Jesus or not is between you and God. No, it's not. We can all see. You just hang around a person long enough. In fact, you look at the book of Proverbs. Throughout the Proverbs, the wise man and the foolish man are contrasted throughout the book. And it's all, practically all of it is stuff that you can see. A wise man hears instruction, but a foolish man doesn't. A wise man manages his money well, but a fool squanders it and wastes it. A wise man learns how to deal with relationships, but a foolish man doesn't. A wise man pursues wisdom, but a foolish man doesn't. A wise man does, but a foolish man doesn't. A wise man doesn't when a foolish man does. The two, the two paths are completely separate from each other, and it's easy to tell the difference. And if you just look long enough, you will see, 
You will see the evidence of the flesh at work. So what is that? Sexual immorality? Impurity? Sensuality? Idolatry? Sorcery? Enmity? Strife? Jealousy? Fits of anger? Rivalries? Dissensions? Divisions? Envy? Drunkenness? Orgies? And things like these? Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15 different things. And he says, that's not even comprehensive. There's other stuff that's just like them. You see, this is the life of the flesh. It's vile. It's disgraceful. Who wants to admit that that's what their life looks like? Show of hands. Who wants that life? That's the life of the flesh. Now, don't get me wrong here. He's not just saying, don't do these things. He's saying that when you're controlled by the flesh, you will do these things. The problem isn't just the things that are in this list. It's what's causing the things that are in this list. Living by the flesh is what causes this vile and disgraceful kind of life. A life full of impure actions and jealousy and anger and division and drunkenness. These things lead away from God's kingdom. In fact, living by the flesh leads to destruction. You tell me any of those things are going to lead to good. They don't. None of them do. Oh, you might be able for a little while. And you, you do a little bit of sorcery. Maybe you can find out who's going to win the football game and you can get some money betting. Maybe, I don't know. You just hope that guy, that whoever, whatever sorcery you're doing, that, that who you conjure up isn't lying to you. Boy, that'd be bad, wouldn't it? You might say for a little while, well, idolatry doesn't seem to be going bad. I mean, we're having great crops and we're prosperous and everything's going well. You know, that was Israel's problem before the fall. The most prosperous times in Israel's history are the times when they turned toward false gods. Of course, that wasn't the end of the story. Their sin came upon them and in dramatic ways. You see, it looks all right for a little while. But you just hang on. Because the life of the flesh, living in the flesh, will always lead to your destruction. Now, I'm not just talking about physical things. I'm talking about immoral things. I'm talking about the kind of lifestyle that throws off all sort and means of, of preventing you from doing stuff. That, that cast away all the boundaries and say, I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to do it. And since I want to do it, therefore it's good. I'll do it. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Kind of a lifestyle. That sort of lifestyle that says that I am the sole arbiter of what is good, what is acceptable, what is true. And that's the kind of lifestyle that leads you to destruction. And not only destruction for you, but destruction for other people around you. Y'all, 
That's the life of the flesh. Look, contrast that to the life of the Spirit. Once again, fruit, just like the life of the flesh is evident, the life of the Spirit is also evident. But the fruit of the Spirit, you can't help but notice when a tree is yielding fruit. I have blueberry bushes. You can see, I don't know how far they are. I'm not a good judge of distance. Probably 20, 30, maybe 40 feet from my front door. I have some blueberry bushes. You can look out, get around the house, because there's a jut out on the house. But you get around the house and you look from right there, you can see blueberries on my blueberry bushes. You tell from far away when the tree's yielding fruit. You just know. And sometimes, sometimes, depending on what it is, you can smell it in the air. Depending on what it is, you can just smell in the air. Oh yeah, it's that time of year. Sometimes you can smell the flowers that come right before the harvest. And that fruit is just about to come out. And you got that, you know it's coming. That's what life in the Spirit is like. It's evident. You don't hide it. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. You can't help but let it shine. I mean, have you ever tried to block the sunlight with a piece of paper? Photographers do this. They'll put, they'll put something in front of a light to diffuse the light. But it doesn't keep the light from coming through, does it? You still see the light. It just doesn't show as all coming from one place so the picture looks better. You see, when you try to hide the light, you're not going to hide the light of God. Why would you even try? But even if you were to try, you're not going to hide it. The fruit's going to be evident. The fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Love. Now, I see in this list things like sexual immorality, purity, sensuality, Jealousy, strife, divisions, envy. That sure ain't love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. You know, it's funny. Even in all these works of the flesh, I didn't see any, any joy in there. Did you see any joy in there? I didn't see any joy in there. Maybe I missed it. Oh, I saw a lot of looking for joy. I saw a lot of actions like that are trying to find joy. Trying to find meaning. But they're not there. Peace. Not dissensions and divisions. Not envy. Not strife. Jealousy. Enmity. Those aren't peace. And this isn't just peace like we sign a treaty so we're not fighting each other anymore. This is genuine peace. This is the kind of peace that doesn't even want to get them back. Now that's peace. Patience. I didn't see that either. I saw a lot of stuff that was, I want it and I want it now, but I didn't see a lot of patience. Kindness. 
definitely didn't see any kindness in that list earlier. Goodness. You're not going to find it in the flesh. It ain't there. Faithfulness. This one's interesting. You ever see a, a show where there's a group of criminals that are going to do this crime and then, surprise, surprise, one of them turns on another and, and to take his part of the money? No honor among thieves, y'all. You're not going to find faithfulness in works of the flesh. Gentleness. None of this is about being gentle in the flesh. You're running roughshod over everything in the flesh. Now this isn't just the gentle like you teach your three-year-old not to hit, but to, to touch softly or to hold the egg without breaking it kind of thing. I don't trust my three-year-old with an egg right now. Maybe, maybe when she's a little older. It's not that kind of gentleness though. This is the kind of gentleness that doesn't seek the harm of others. You're not going to find that in the flesh. Because the flesh is all about me. I'm number one. I'm going to do what I want to do so that I can be better. And that doesn't matter what happens to all of you. It's all about me. That's the flesh. There's no gentleness there. Self-control. When I, I came to a realization on this. A couple years ago, I was thinking about I was thinking about this in, in conjunction with parenting. I, I was thinking about this, like, this discipline thing that we do with kids. And I'm not just talking about spanking or um, fussing or taking away things or time out. Or, I'm, not, I'm talking about bigger picture. Like this whole idea of disciplining your children. What I realized, something interesting happens in the scripture. You don't find things like self-control very often in the Old Testament. You'll find certain things like consecrate yourselves, get yourselves ready, things like that. But you don't really find control yourself in the Old Testament. You really don't find it until the New. And I started asking the question, why is that? I think I know why. Maybe I'm wrong, okay? I'm man, okay? This is not in Scripture. This is me trying to filter Scripture through my experience and figure out what, what this is doing here. When you are living life in the Spirit, the Spirit is doing something in you that you cannot do yourself. It's bringing you in control. And so we find things like James saying, the man who can control his tongue is wise. That's not just because he knows when to shut up. If you can control the tongue, you can avoid a lot of problems. You see, I think what God does, I think He puts His Spirit in us when we trust in Him, and His Spirit does the work that we cannot do on our own, and it starts to enable us to live this kind of life. That's why... Paul says, against such things there is no law. What he's really saying there is, when you're living this kind of life, you're not breaking the law. You're so concerned, Galatians, 
on this law that these Judaizers have brought before you to say this is the way you earn God's favor. You are so concerned with trying to fill the letter of this law, you've missed the point. Because the point is that when you trust Christ, God puts his spirit within you and that spirit enables you to live that law. You see, that spirit enables you to do the things that you are supposed to do because in those who are who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. God does the work in you. And God doing the work in you enables you to do the work that God wants you to do. To bring that love and that joy and that peace and that patience and that kindness and that goodness and that faithfulness and that gentleness and that self-control to life. Living in the flesh leads to destruction, but living in the Spirit leads to life. Contrasted with the life of the flesh, the life of the Spirit is beautiful. It's peaceful. Go back one for me, please. Thank you. We can't give it all away too early. We've got we to gotta bring it along. Rather than leading away from God's kingdom and excluding us from His promised blessings, life in the Spirit leads us directly into victory. In fact, it leads to a fruitful life. That's why he calls it fruit. It's the byproduct of the Spirit's work. Though this warfare at times threatens to rip us apart at the seams, God invigorates us to a living life. Not just a life of barely scraping by, not just a life of bitter warfare, but a life that's truly alive. That's why Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. There's a better kind of life to live and that life is found living in the Spirit of God. All this time, throughout the letter, God has made it a point to show the fruitlessness of trying to live up to the law in our own efforts. But living life in the Spirit, that's how we find our That's how we bear fruit for a Lord that demands it. When God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, he didn't just mean in numbers. He meant in lifestyle. This is the way we are fruitful. Living by the Spirit. So we're determined to live by the Spirit. The next question is how? How do we do it? How do we live by the Spirit instead of living by the flesh? So I want you to see the battle cry couple things Paul points out. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So um, (laughs) it's the daily walk with God. Go back to daily walk with God for a second. When I was in high school, it was, it's so funny. Maybe, how many of you were in band in high school? Okay. You may not have noticed this because you were in the band. But I'm sure other people notice this about you. When you're in the band, you spend hours and hours and hours. I know y'all notice this. You spend hours and hours and hours practicing. And practicing doesn't just mean playing your instruments. Practicing means marching in time. Because when you're in the marching band, you've got to be able to make all these funny-looking shapes on the field and do the time and the music. So you're playing and you're walking in step with each other and you got to be able to walk all kinds of different directions and know where you're going and not fall all over each other and all kinds of things 
like that, right? One thing I noticed, when I saw band members walking in the hallways of the school, now this is just in the hall, they were walking together. They were walking in step with each other. They were walking to the same tempo. They were walking with the same size step. Now, how did that come? Lots of practice. They weren't trying to. It wasn't something they were focused on. They weren't looking at their feet and one of them looking at the other one and trying to walk together. They weren't doing that. Just over time, practice day after day, week after week, sweat drop after sweat drop because it was in the summer in Alabama. And I don't know if those of you, some of you may not have grown up in Alabama, but in the summertime in Alabama, they're sweating and they're walking and they're walking and they're walking and eventually they just start to walk together and not even think about it. That's, that's the picture I got in mind when Paul says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's a daily walk with God. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are in the garden. And it's said that every day in the cool of the day, in the breeze of the day, God would come and walk with them. I would love to have been a fly on the wall. Well, I guess there weren't walls, but fly on the tree. Not the bad tree, you know, the other tree. <laughs> One of the other trees. I would love to have just snooped in on some of their conversations. Wouldn't it? Can you imagine the stuff they would have been talking about? Daily walking with God. If we're going to live the life of the Spirit, we've got to be walking with God. We do that through reading His Word. We do that through praying. We do that through meditating on it. Don't just look it over, close your Bible and say, all right, that's good. I've checked that off the list. No, 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 no. Spend some time in it. Get in your easy chair. Get a cup of coffee. Well, maybe maybe not your easy chair. That might be too comfortable. Uh, you'll fall asleep, baby. But get, get yourself in a good place, plenty of light, cup of coffee in your hands, or sweet tea if you're not a coffee drinker. And just read. And read it over and over and over again. Roll it over in your mind. Let God's Word not only get into your ears, but get down to your heart. Hide it in there. Hide it in there. Tuck it away into the deepest, innermost crevices of your heart. You'll walk with the Spirit. You'll keep right in step with Him. It'll be amazing. There are sometimes when I am walking with God and I hear something and I know that's wrong. And I don't know how I know that's wrong. I just know that it's wrong. It's God's Spirit talking to me, telling me that's crock. Don't listen to that. There are other times when I'm walking with God and I see something happen that I've never seen before and I know just what to do in that situation. I wish God did that more often where he could talk to me in a way that I would clearly know exactly what I need to do. Sometimes that doesn't seem to happen. It's when I'm not walking with the Spirit. But when I'm walking with His Spirit, when I'm keeping in step with God and I'm listening for His voice, my sheep will know my voice. When I hear Him, then I'm able to respond in obedience. It's a daily walk.
God. The second thing is in verse 26. Let us not become conceited. I want you to focus on that part for just a second. Let us not become conceited. This past Wednesday, we were talking about uh, Romans 12 at the nursing home. Um, I've been doing a series in Romans on Wednesday nights, and Romans 12, 3, I pointed out, Paul says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That, that Greek, there's a Greek word in there that captures a lot of that verse, uh, that captures a lot of those words, and it's superthink. Don't superthink of yourself. Let's go back to superheroes for a second. Even Spider-Man has his kryptonite. Don't superthink of yourself. Don't think of yourself better than what you really are. Don't put yourself on a higher pedestal than what you really belong. Don't get too big for your britches. How about that one? That's, that's a good southern sentence right there. Don't get too big for your britches. My wife says I have a big head. I, I, sometimes she's right. I get a big head. I start thinking of myself more highly than I ought to. Don't we all? We can't do that living in the Spirit. God's Spirit is the, the pin that pops that balloon. And our heads get a little bit too big. We need to release some air. She also says, oh, I have a lot of hot air. I think that's why I have a big head. Is because maybe maybe that. Maybe, I, maybe my brain's just so big, I don't know. We don't overprice ourselves. When we're walking with the Spirit, we don't think of ourselves better than what we really are. Have you ever been in a store and you look at something and you think, oh, that's, that's kind of neat. How much is that? Oh, that's way too much. <laughs> and you put it right back. I'm not paying that. That's way too much. They think, Carrie says this all the time. They think too much of their stuff. And that's exactly, that's, that's what living in the flesh is like, is thinking too much of yourself. But living in the spirit, we don't overprice ourselves. We don't become conceited. Let us not become conceited. Let's not think too much of ourselves. And uh, Carrie Job wrote a song called The Cause of Christ. It is not fame that I desire, nor stature in my brother's eye. I pray it's said about my life that I live more to build your name than mine. Living by the Spirit means we don't overprice ourselves. It also affects how we view, how we view others. Look at the second part of 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, living by the Spirit means we don't undervalue others. It not only does it mean that we don't overvalue ourselves, it also means that we don't undervalue other people. We're going to talk about this a lot next week because next week Paul is going to turn to how we deal with one another. So I'm going to give you just that little bit of preview. Next week we're going to be talking about one another. Now, <laughs> that's not in the gossip way. That's a, it's in a good way, I promise. How should we deal with one another? But right now, he's kind of leading into that. He's saying, he's saying, look, living by the Spirit, if we're walking by the Spirit, if we're living a life that is controlled by the Spirit of God, it will affect the way we, we deal with other people. We won't provoke them. We won't envy them. 
We won't stir them into the wrong kind of way. And we won't let anger and jealousy and bitterness take root in the way that we see them. I'll give you a hint. We're going to love them. We're going to have peace with them. As hard as this is, we're going to have patience with them. We're going to treat them with kindness and goodness and gentleness. We're going to control ourselves and not do what we really want to do and hug them around their neck with our hands. Instead, we're going to really love them. We're going to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in the way we deal with them. You see, living by the Spirit affects everything. We'll bear one another's burdens. We'll forgive one another's trespasses. We'll encourage one another's efforts. That's a very different way of life than living in the flesh. And you might be saying, you know, I've kind of, I mean, I like to live that way. But I don't really know how. It's like a big pink elephant in the room, the question. What's controlling you? Are you controlled by the Spirit? By the Spirit of God living within you, dwelling within you, doing His work in you to make you like Christ? Are you controlled by the flesh? A whole different kind of work in you. Wrecking havoc in you. Leading you to destruction. Well, while they come to do the invitation, I'm going to be standing at the front. What's controlling you? I'd love to help you find how to let God's Spirit rule within you and produce that kind of fruit that we're talking about. How to learn, learn to live the kind of life that isn't controlled by the flesh, but that's being controlled by God. By not just a God afar off who's putting His thumb down on you, but a God who dwells within you invigorating you in a new, better kind of way to live.